Yo, 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 it's Chop the Father, and you're listening to a Step Off Magazine production. several years, Chop the Father has been one of the most unique up-and-coming MCs in the underground hip-hop scene of Houston, Texas. In a scene that is more commonly associated with artists such as the Ghetto Boys, UGK, and DJ Screw, among others, Chop the Father has forged his own path, pulling influence from legendary hip-hop artists such as Big L, Nas, and the Notorious B.I.G. Pulling from this eclectic mix of influences, Chop the Father has made a name for himself incorporating highbrow punchlines and colorful pop culture references into his songs as well as crafting solemn stories of self-reflection and past hardships into his music. Incorporating his appreciation for dark, brooding production, Chop the Father has created a unique tapestry of projects that has set his catalog apart from run-of-the-mill artists in Houston's local hip-hop scene. Having worked with artists such as D-Rel, Navy Jones Locker, and releasing a string of mixtapes produced by Riverside-based producer Acosta the Man, Chop the Father has illustrated that the appreciation for classic boom-bap production extends well outside the boundaries of New York City and the East Coast. In today's episode, Chop the Father joins Step Off Radio to discuss the inspirations behind his music, growing up as a child in Houston, Texas, the Latino community, and his path to becoming an MC. Likewise, we also got to discuss upcoming projects and what the future holds for his music. So with that said, we are proud to present with y'all our conversation with the one and only Chop the Father. time for your mind internets welcome to another episode of step off radio the official podcast of step off magazine internets today we got an incredible guest coming broadcasting live from houston texas we got the one and only chop the father yo what's up brother thank you for coming on the show man hey yo 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 what's going on man shout out step off and shout out all the love that y'all be giving us from over there in california man i appreciate it no doubt, no doubt, man. Thanks for coming on the show. For all listeners out there who may not be familiar with your work, please introduce yourself. You know, let our listeners know who you are and what is it that you do. Yeah, my name is uh, Chop the Father. I'm from Houston, Texas, specifically the East Side. And I've been uh, doing hip hop music seriously for about three years. Um, like a lot of us, you know, I, I did it in high school, but just kind of got caught up in life. And when I got to a point where I was situated and I felt like I had time to really like, you know, cause I don't want to do nothing, you know, half ass. 
So when I felt like I had the time to really contribute to it, um, I was already a father. And, um, you know, I wanted to make, you know, I was 26 at the time. So I was like, oh, you know, I want to make music that I would listen to. So I started making hip hop with the lyrics, with the intention being, you know, for an older audience. No but yeah, problem. mainly I do, I do hip hops is the main thing I do. That's what's up. Yeah. So let's take it from the very beginning, man. You know, tell us a little about your early years. You were born in Houston, Texas. Did you grow up in a musical or a artistic household? You know, what kind of music? were you listening to growing up and what got played regularly in the house? So I actually didn't grow up in a real like um, artistic uh, household. My mother was a stay at home mom and uh, my father worked at a shipyard and uh, they were first generation. They were the ones that moved over here. And um, really like um, it would always be like, you know, my mom, you know, the classic music that they say your mom cleans to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, on Helen's Azules and stuff like that. You know, that's what I was listening to for uh, for a good part of my life. Um, up until like when my brother, I, I'm the youngest. So my two older brothers are the ones that started going to school first. And once they got introduced to more like rock music and hip hop, that was my first introdu introduction to something that uh, wasn't Spanish music. And by that time, I was probably like six, seven, eight years old in that time frame when I started uh my brothers were buying rock albums like it's funny because my uh my middle brother he was a big fan of Nirvana and it took him like a year to find out that Kurt Cobain had uh had been been you know passed away oh damn <laughs> it just yeah, shows you like, like it shows you where we're at in the world where you could just look something up and know but at that time like you know we were listening to all that uh in Udero and uh, it took him a good solid year to be like, man, this guy, you know, this guy been gone. Yeah, it's really incredible, you know, like looking back, like how you really had to do your research on stuff. Yeah. I mean, like I remember I didn't know what DJ Premier looked like until I was like, I think a senior in high school. You know, I didn't yeah. I didn't even realize that was him on the cover of like Hard to Earn. <laughs> yeah, the access to technology is definitely like improved. And if anything, you brought up something that I wanted to kind of go deeper on, too, which is you mentioned that. Your parents, you know, they're first generation, they're immigrants, they're migrants, and they're from originally from Terra Nuevo, uh, Leon, Mexico, you know, Mexico. Uh, can you just like paint a picture for us of what it was like growing up in a working class home with immigrant parents? You know, how did those perceptions inform your perception of the world and make you the you know person that you are today? Do you think that had any influence on you? Yeah, man, it did a big influence, man. Uh my my father, uh Growing up, maybe I didn't realize it, but looking back, it's like he didn't really have no interest or not to say he didn't have no interest, but it's just kind of like a man's man. He worked and he provided and he came home. He he never went out with friends. He never stayed somewhere. He was never out at the bar. You know, I have a lot of respect for my father. He literally, you know, go to work, come home and, you know, be with us. He never went to sporting events, never went to concerts, never went out to drink. It's literally, we were his life. Um, you don't see a lot of that anymore. And I have a lot of peers that did not have that in the home. So I'll always have a lot of respect for my father, but it just instilled in me that structure. Like, you know, of course, we're all going to have problems growing up. It's just a part of youth. But just having that structure of like, man, my, the, my parents were always there. <laughs> like, they were always there and it was like 
it is still to me like how could I be anything less like I would literally have wasted their attempts to raise me the right way if to turn around and you know be a deadbeat or turn around and I raise my kids then I mean I have a natural instinct to want to take care of my kids too but it's just it's a good example you know, to base uh to base morality off of. That's right. A big like uh foundation of uh, what we consider moral, right? It comes from our you know environment growing up, like you mentioned. Yeah. So, thank you for sharing that. No, for sure. And then yeah, like my mom, you know, your traditional stay at home mom handled everything. It wasn't uh trying to go out with her friends either, not being in the home, or you know, a lot of see I see I see a lot of lack of like attention towards the kids or lack of just, you know, general health healthcare things, doctors' visits, dentist visits, like it's all stuff that, you know, and in this day and age, I feel like there's a lot of young parents that overlook stuff like that. But my parents were on top of everything, man. Like, you know, it didn't just let didn't just let us be there, you know. That's right. <laughs> Shout out to remind ourselves that like domestic labor is labor. Y'all like doing that work yeah. for your kids for whatever. That's work. Yeah. That's like real work. It was a, cost they, somebody yeah, money. they were a good yeah. team. You know, they were a good team. You know, my mom handled the house and my dad handled, you know, everything else. There we go. Yeah, man. You know, kind of going on, continuing on in like, you know, that importance of family, you know, your parents would take you and your siblings on trips to Mexico uh, every year. And yeah. you said that as a kid, you know, in a lot of ways at the time, you know, you kind of almost like disliked the trips because you guys would go to the same place. But as an adult, you really appreciate what your parents instilled into you, you know, loving where you came from. And I kind of wanted to hear, you know, like your thoughts on like the importance of that and what, what how that influenced you and your outlook, because we have a lot of Chicano and Mexican-American artists on this program. And we hear time and time again the importance of like family instilling this in them from a very young age yeah man because um don't get me wrong like at the time when you're young and maybe you go to a disneyland or a legoland or you know go to a beach like as a kid it is great and i still think there should be a balance of that um but as you get older you start to realize what is you know real like what are actual like real tangible things and it's like the relationships you you have with family you know because I'm at the point you know uh, after 18 or 19 I started working I started having my own life you know I haven't been to Mexico in probably like 10 years not because I don't want to go but because I've just never had the opportunity so I think like, man, you know, I used to be like, man, we used to always have to go to Mexico. And now I look at it as a blessing. Like, man, if I didn't go then, I wouldn't have gone now because I'm not going now. It's crazy because a lot of the relationships I have with family from Mexico, I don't know. I don't like want to blame America, right? But it's like when you come over here, like the Mexican family dynamic is not the same, you know? everybody goes and starts doing their own things and it's just part of uh regular life in america it's not too much of a importance on staying together whereas in mexico it's very like important it's very part of the culture like you know if you haven't seen your tia in a, in a week what's wrong with you she lives right there you know when right. over here it just there's a constant like 
there's not enough time. There's not enough time. There's not enough time. And over there, it just feels a little slower. Got That's more right. time to appreciate things. You know, you you want to go to the grocery store, you walk over there. You want to go, you know, you want to go out, you walk over there. You know, you don't have to get in the car for everything. Like, everything is right there. Unless it's really, you know, if it's some obscure thing, okay, you know, maybe you'll drive over there. But specifically where my, my father's from, General Teran, everything's in walking distance. You know, a car isn't needed unless it's across town. But, you know, convenience store, grocery store, the plaza, the movie theater, or just a, another relative's house. So I just feel like in those environments, families are able to stay, you know, important. a different way of living in the Pueblo or the Ranchos, you know, down there, you know, uh, like you said, much slower, you know, a lot more multi-generational homes, you know, than here in the States as well. You know, it's not uncommon to have, you know, three different generations in the same household, you know, which is unfortunately, I think something that is in a lot of ways almost looked down upon yeah. in the States yeah. because we kind of expect like people like, oh, well, you should just be out of the house by 18 or if you're not, if you're still living with your parents as adults, like you're failing somehow you know but like culturally you know our people have always done this well yeah i mean it speaks obviously to the interests of which society defines normalcy right like obviously here the dominant let's just be honest anglo society is one that's hyper individualistic hyper capitalistic one that like obviously wants to reinforce this narrative that everyone needs to have a four-bedroom home for their little nuclear family with their white picket fence everybody has three yeah. cars and obviously that benefits not our planet or even us, you know, we're not meant to be isolated from each other. Like you talked about chop, we're meant to be like, you know, with our families, like we've existed for thousands of years, enjoying like a potentially slower life than we're experiencing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that just obviously speaks to whose values get ascribed as normal. Right. And obviously the Anglo like hyper-capitalistic values are considered normal right now, but I don't think that's always uh, been the case. Cause even like you said, you can have two people, we all, you know, may look like people in Mexico right now, but the value system is different because the economic yeah. system we're under is different. So, yo, I appreciate you sharing your experience about like life and just like how it slows down over there, because I don't think people, unless you've lived out of the country or you've gone and like seen some shit, you won't have that experience, you know? Yeah, man. And it just feels like, you know, people live longer. You know, I have a lot of relatives over there that, you know, got that are either passed away at a very old age or very old right now. <laughs> And just like, it old. <laughs> it, it's less of a rush man it's just you get to actually like appreciate some of the finer things just uh, the fresh air fresh food and i mean don't get me wrong there's you know junk everywhere but over there like when we would go over there like junk food if anything like soda chips you know so it's like a treat and that's it you know you don't just yeah. have it in your homes <laughs> and yeah, you have you every once in a while yeah yeah it's yeah exactly and that, and that was the original what, what it was supposed to be Maybe. i think it speaks like yeah culture like the culture difference there is like a lot more collective based than here hyper individualized where the logic is like well if you want to 
eat unhealthy shit and whatever and like just like guy at 45 it's like if you got the money to do it we don't care whereas like there there's a little bit more like you know like you know there's a little bit more interest i think in like preserving people's health or at least in someone i've seen at least on the packaging i think of cigarettes for example the cigarette packaging in like the united states i can't imagine the tobacco companies here allowing them to put some of the shit that i see on like mexican cigarettes so yeah that's funny Yo, but yeah, thank thank you for sharing that chop. I really appreciate you going down memory lane and sharing the that those tidbits. I do have a little jewel that I could give y'all real quick. The first CD I ever bought was actually in Mexico. It was a bootleg uh, Shaggy CD. Damn, sure. <laughs> <laughs> with with Angel, and uh, I think it was just three different versions of the song Angel. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that was the that was the jam. Yeah. <laughs> so that, was the, that was the hit back in like what, like the late nineties, early 2000s? 2000 Yeah, bro. Oh shit, I was just we were him. This this one we're talking about. Like I was just doing the Merrily Rush song that's like sampled off of that, right? And I was like doing that at karaoke, and I was like, yeah, we got to do the Shaggy version too. But none of us, neither one of us, could do the Shaggy voice. That actually leads me into my next question, though, Chops. So you know, let's let's dive a little bit into personal history about you growing up in Texas. So. Paint this picture of you growing up in the late 90s and early 2000s in, you know, Dirty South era Texas. You know, you had artists like Ghetto Boys, UGK, DJ Screw, Mike Jones, Slim Thug, you know, Paul Wall, all these cats at the moment, you know, they're killing it, you know. And I wanted to ask, you know, what was it like growing up in your neighborhood? Like, in what ways did um, Houston mold and shape the sound of your music, you know, or, or were you exposed to that, you know, at that time? So I actually, it's crazy, I wasn't exposed to that. So, you know, I grew up in a Mexican home and like I told you, you know, I didn't get, I didn't get exposed to a lot of that music until my brother started going to school. And so around that time, you know, by the time I, you know, I got around to it, you know, DJ Screw had already passed away and it was right on the brink of like uh, the, <clears throat> the Swisher House takeover of the world. So. You know, your Mike Jones, uh, Paul Wall, Slim Thug. When when they started blowing up is like I got I caught on to it a little bit right before that. So like I said, ghetto boys, I could say I'm a big Scarface fan, but I'd be lying to you if it was since I was born. No, like I had to go back and do my research and be like, oh man, this is the man. <laughs> like, you know, songs like Smile and Hand of the Dead Body with Ice Cube, <clears throat> all that was, you know, research after the fact. But, um, you know, I was part of, I was already aware of when, you know, Paul Wall was, on, was doing Drive Slow with Kanye West and Slim Thug got on a song with uh, Beyonce. Um, <clears throat> UGK did a big pimping, you know. I was, I was aware once that was happening. You know, we had MTV. So then, you know, you were watching the video to that all the time. And, uh, at that time, there was things like LimeWire where you could download music, yeah. even though like, <laughs> even though you had 20 DJ ads and, uh, at the beginning. My fellow Americans, you're taking like all of like the elder millennials down memory lane right now yeah. with this early 2000 nostalgia, early yeah, internet you, stuff. Oh, y'all, y'all remember uh, Windows Windows Media Player? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and yeah. it's crazy because it'd be the craziest mix of like all of that that I'm telling you, and then like three days grace and uh uh 30 seconds to Mars, Nirvana, yeah. Pearl Jam. So so you know, one one second, one second you got uh crossfade playing, and then you got uh you got three six mafia. So <laughs> It was just a good mix. You know, my brothers were really into rock music and and then my oldest brother was really into uh, hip hop at the time. So we all shared the same computer. So whatever they were listening to, I was listening to. There we go. Let's dig, dig a little deeper into that because you mentioned. Y'all ever played yeah. Age of Empires? I would be playing Age of Empires and like have, I'm telling you, Pimp C in the background all on my one computer. And it's like, but it's crazy because that's how I learned about like Attila the Hun and Genghis Khan. Yeah, Age of, the, Age of Empires was a shit. Oh, yeah. You know, I think they, they're still making those games. I was just playing Age of Empires 3 not that long ago. I think they just came out with four or five. I don't even know what level they're on. But yeah, those yeah shout out cool. to these weird history games that like, <laughs> you know, like, that like, that like stood out to like little nerds like me that were like, yo, I want to yeah, like, be a god. <laughs> Constantine. Yeah, 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 that's dope. You know, if anything, that's what I wanted to also touch on too, is because you mentioned that like you had a brother that exposed you to this, like you all shared a computer. So just kind of talk us, you know, talk to us about that experience of like, yo, what were you, what did you find on that computer? What was like your brother listening to? What was like your emotions, or not even what your emotions, but like what did you think about like the first like actual hip hop that you were listening to? Were you like, oh, this is dope, or were you just like, all right, that's cool. I guess I'll come back to that in a little bit. So, you know, around that time, uh, I remember uh, Zero stood out a lot to me. And um, I don't know if y'all familiar with the song, I Hate You, Bitch. I'm going to have to say that. I, yeah, I am off the top of my head now. I, I will put y'all on. It's a jam. But it was just a song about basically a woman that did him wrong. And that's the hook. What I just told you the name was. And it was just like uh, hearing a lot of adult content at an early age. But it was still like, you know, somewhat lyrical. I wouldn't say it was as lyrical as like the New York scene that, you know, was happening at the same time or before that. But it was more than just uh, cookie cutter, like MTV video, MTV video, hip hop music, you know, hits or what was on the radio at the time. Um, I would like to share y'all more zero. Um, are y'all very familiar with Scarface or just kind of borderline familiar with Scarface? I mean, I've listened to his, like his stuff, but I'm really familiar with with the Ghetto Boys early stuff, and then I know like uh, um, the Fix, like that's the, oh, okay, um... yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know more or less, yeah. yeah. So th that would be more of uh, the stuff that I I would lean towards. Like, don't get me wrong, I like the hype music, but. At the time, uh, the culture around me, I i didn't know anybody with big rims or I didn't know anybody with candy paint cars. So it was cool to listen to, but there was like a, there was a limit on how much I could relate. You know, once I got a little older and got into high school myself, I started really relating to like East Coast hip hop, mm. you know, struggling and not coming up with that much money, you know. Houston rappers, by the time I got to them, they were rapping about how they were on already. New York, there's a lot of hip-hop that deals with the struggle. So, uh, you know, I kind of went towards that. And then Zero himself, you know, he he does a lot of uh, what people like to call, like, uh, depressed hip-hop. 
like always going through it or always being one deep and don't really mess with nobody. Uh, but yeah, that's why I really did relate a lot. And then just at the same time, I've always been, you know, without trying to sound cocky because it's not a flex because it's the, you know, American education system. I was always in the like higher level classes based mm-hmm. on my testing. So sure. when it came to like super lyrical hip hop, I just thought it was dope. Like a, it, it starts turning into like an art form. Absolutely, man. You know, there's a uh, there's a trend on this show that there's a lot of artists that kind of tend to gravitate towards East Coast MCs, you know, like uh, not just for the storytelling and the uh, elements in their music, but also the production as well. And I wanted to ask, you know, like, what kind of artists were you listening to at that time with, that you were like, when you were discovering a lot of these East Coast artists, who were the ones that you gravitated towards the most? Uh, mainly, man, Biggie and Big L, to just say like the top two. Oh, and Nas. Yeah, no, no, nah, Illmatic. <laughs> Illmatic is easily like top five. No arguments. Argue with your mom. One hundred percent. It's just it's such a perfect album. It's really like uh, um, I like watching Drink Champs and Nori talks about like explaining hip hop to people, and he's like, I explain it two ways, you know, before Illmatic dropped and then after Illmatic dropped just to give people like a frame of reference of how much it impacted the culture and um, made people really, you know, kind of start getting their bars up and, you know, really adding the storyteller element. Cause I feel like before Nas, it was a lot of flexing, just wordplay. And then I think after Nas, it started getting into really, really like deep storytelling and um, very introspective. Uh, music and I think people just went crazy with it. And also getting the top producers at the time too because at the time you know a lot of times you had producers in house that would produce the whole album. I'm a big fan of that. I like making projects with one producer. Like like I'm a big fan of that. I just think it's like one. it's, it's kind of like alright so you have an album that's one rapper specifically for the fact that you're trying to hear his story but then it's like when I don't know, don't get me wrong, obviously there's great projects with multiple producers. But then when you just get that one producer's like take on that artist, pretty much by the beats that were supplied, I just think it's dope. Those are some of my favorite projects when it's just two collaborators. Oh yeah, 100% because you know, like you said, like certain producers are able to get that sound to a T. Like you got Stoop for Jedi Mind Tricks, you got DJ Premier for Gangstar. You got, uh, you know, Lodge Professor producing for people like Main Source, you know, so there's really something to be said about producers that can helm entire projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, you got, like, lately the two people that I see doing it uh, a lot is Hit Boy and uh, Alchemist. Oh, yeah, yeah man. I, I, could talk about, I could talk about Alchemist all day. And actually, you know, it's funny, Hit Boy's been around a lot longer than people know. Like, he's been around, like, a long time, since, like, the early 2000s. What do you always say, Rob? It takes 10 years to become an overnight success yeah. or whatever. <laughs> That's what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. People, I mean, people don't I, realize. But speaking, yeah, same thing with you, you know, DJ, you know, DJ Premier and um, Alchemist has been around that long too. So, you know, they, they've just been around. They've been the sound. I just, producers definitely get way more credit now. Yeah, it's really it's really nice to see that, you know, producers aren't just these people behind the boards that you got to read the liner notes now. Like you have like 
producers who are like full on artists, like they are known for being producers, you know. So it's really an incredible thing. You know, kind of switching a kind of switching gears from hip hop a little bit. Aside from hip hop, you know, one of your passions is uh, wrestling, which is, um, you know, a passion that you share with our good friend uh, Jagariola from uh, from Cosmic Force yeah. as well. So you you noted that uh, you and your brothers you would even go out of your way to find old VHS tapes of like '90s wrestling, and yeah. uh, you have some of your favorite wrestlers are you know Mr. Perfect, you know Vader, Jake the Snake, you know Bam Bam. I think it's um, safe to assume that this influenced your stage name. So I kind of wanted to go like ask you know what is the origin behind your uh, name Chop the Father? What significance does it hold, and why did you decide to take that as your stage name? So there's a, that's a, I got a two-part answer to that because it is wrestling influence and then it's also rappers at the time influence. So I don't know, I, don't, I was kind of done with hip hop for a while other than my specific like handful of artists. So for example, like if J. Cole would drop, I'll listen to it. If Big Crit will drop, I'll listen to it. If Kendrick will drop, TDE and them, I'll listen to it. But I wasn't really messing with anything new. Like you couldn't put me on a new artist. Like for example, I had a friend that was like, you should listen to Isaiah Rashad. And I was like, yeah, he's probably nice, but I'm not going to listen to it. Because at that point, I was just like, I got my I got my group of people. So then I uh, started hearing about uh, Conway the Machine. And I started listening to him. And then through him, of course, I, I found out about Benny the Butcher too. So I was like, man, like, you know, they're older than me. Barely kind of getting on on and making just dope-ass music, you know. You know, talking about shit that other people might already be talking about too, but just the way they were putting it together very visually. And at first I thought it was Alchemist that was doing the production only to find out that it was a Derringer. But then at that point, Alchemist was messing with them too. So it was just a combination of, you know, the, the lyrics, the wordplay and the production that really just like reinvigorated, you know, my love for hip hop. Like, cause I was like, man, you know, I always felt like I could put words together like that too. So at the time, like I had told you, I was already a father and I was trying to figure out, you know, I couldn't just be chopped. There's too many chops. There's, you know, big chop, young chop, little chop. Uh, so I was like, well, you know, it's gotta be chopped to some. And actually in high school, I used to go by chop a chump when, uh, when I, I was going through my odd future phase. And I thought I just had to have a funny, obscure name. But then, you know, when I was putting my name together, you know, so I did think of, you know, like your Jake the Snake, but at the same time, a lot of the artists I started listening to had a something the something name. So Conway the Machine, Benny the Butcher, Tyler the Creator. So it just seemed like, it seemed very marketable and it seemed like, well, you know, I picked Father because that's what I was going to rap about, you know. It's not the only thing I rap about, but it's something that matters a lot to me and it's really like... You know how people be like, oh, I'm really out here in the streets. Or it's like, I'm really inside taking care of my kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, re I'm really doing this, you know. I'm really in here. to kind of keep on the trend with like uh the pop culture stuff that we've been talking about 
you know, we kind of talked about, you know, uh, Age of Empires already, that kind of stuff. Video games is like a love. I'm sure we could probably spend the whole podcast talking about because I, I would love that. But, um, you know, something I think you told Rob was about uh, specifically growing up playing like games on like the N64, you know, your oh, parents, yeah, your family, yeah. you know, uh, wanting to obviously protect, you know, their family in a certain way, right? Like I, I can imagine only parents can do, you know, Rob kind of mentioned that um, there was that kind of general sheltering that comes around from like first generation parents that might've been at play, you know, that general yeah. fear of anybody that wasn't Latino, wasn't from the community, wasn't yeah. somebody that they like knew, right? Looking back at, as an adult, how do you, you know, do you feel like that sheltering influenced your perception of the world or, you know, any other cultures around you, you know, especially in a city like Houston, do you think that had any influence? Um, You know what? It's crazy because it never really gave me any uh, negative uh, perceptions of people that weren't Latino. You know, that, that actually I can say, you know, for the most part, never really crossed my mind. You know, I never thought that other people were a danger. I do think there was a slight mistake in the oversheltering because in, you know, my teenage years, I, there was a wild period from like, man, I just got to, you know, get out. Um, I do think uh, you have to find a balance. But for the most part, you know, you got to think if if today I decided, man, we're better off in Canada and we moved to Canada, how am I going to be? in a whole new world like you know you would think you know you want to be protective so it's that so i think some people over blame their parents um because they don't ever really just put themselves in their shoes now i, I do right. think i do think there's a lot of parents that weren't the best parents but i do think we are in a in a society where it's like everybody wants to be a victim you know, it's like, uh, it's kind of like a flex. Like, I had it worse. Like, like, okay, okay, let's really, let's really sit down talk about it and think about it. Did you have it worse? So I think for the main part, you know, oversheltering is obviously better than complete neglect, you know, <laughs> but as far as my perception of the world, nah, man, it just, it, it made me go into certain, uh, certain media to, to find out about the world. Like I told you, Age of Empires or, also, I'm a very, you know, I'm a, I'm a cinephile too. You know, I started like, uh, I found a book that had all the Oscar winners and nominations. So then I would like look on TV to try to find those movies and watch and be like, well, let's see why it won this award. So I did get a lot of like, you know, different cultural information from, you know, just playing video games or uh, reading books, uh, watching movies it delved like, well, I'm going to find out about the world this way. Yeah, and I think you brought up something important that a lot of people, like, forget, right? Which is, like, that perspective of, like, yo, like, man, parents are just people, and yeah, there's some bad shit that people do, yeah. but we can't, you know, especially, I think, coming from, like, migrant backgrounds and stuff like that, we can't throw, we can't do what I think the dominant culture does, which is just, like, throw out people just wholesale in the garbage can and shit. It's like, nah, like, our communities are worth you know, like working through, struggling through most sometimes. Sometimes you gotta just like cut people off. But I think you brought up a good uh, a good perspective uh, about that. Yeah, a lot of people don't see their parents as humans till like exactly till like late in their life. Like, oh damn. I think that's how we all of us know. I think in this conversation that damn we're we're getting old. Respect <laughs> yeah. your parents, all okay. That's coming straight from <laughs> keep your hip hop rugged and shit. But like, keep keep, keep respect with your fam. <laughs> 
That's funny, yo. Yo, uh, but thank you, child. Thank you for sharing, you know, um, those details about your early years. So something I wanted to I wanted to ask you about your music is uh, going into your origins about exactly how you got into making music because a, a common theme that we see here on the show is that uh, artists will be appreciators of the culture for a number of years. And that there comes a certain point where people go from being spectators to active participants. And I kind of want to get, you know, like, what was the, um, what was the precipice that kind of led to you? Like, it's like, oh, I don't want to just be consuming this. I want to be creating something in this culture. Yeah, man. Uh, I don't know. I caught myself, you know, starting to feel like I had something to say. And, um, I actually started like uh, I had a notebook and I would write poems, but um, after a while I was like, "Man, this isn't enough," you know. So uh, I was like, you know, I started uh, <clears throat> discovered YouTube, <laughs> and uh, yeah, discovered type beats, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> then, uh, you know, I found out that there was people in my high school with similar interests, and uh, started linking up with them. And um, I had a friend who his big brother, he would make music and he had a home studio. So he learned how to engineer. And, you know, we went from slowly just rapping to a mic to, to you know, setting up like a janky ass booth with egg cartons and then, you know, putting the mic in there and be like, oh, yeah, it definitely sounds better in this fucking contraption we just made. Yeah, <laughs> the science. It's crazy because I, I still make music with that same guy. Uh, uh, Y'all might know him as AB Raps. I don't know. He was on Vader. He was on Vader time on the song Mexico. And, you know, that, that's been my lifelong friend. And we both he's actually the one that also helped me get back into it, because even though, you know, I started listening to Conway and Benny and, you know, started writing. He was the one where he's like, hey, I'm going to push for this music again. And he's the one that taught me about start streaming my music, um, start uh, start doing shows, uh, you know, oh, this engineer does good, or hey, this is where I get my beats, or hey, this guy makes beats. He's the one that really brought me back and gave me the connections to really, you know, make a go at it. Around what year is this? Like, how old were you, like, when you finally decided to take this step, you know, into making music? So, like, originally or seriously? Uh, let's go with seriously. Seriously, uh, it's three years ago. I started, you know, my homie told me uh, that he was going to start doing it. And then, like, at that time, it was, like, just crazy idea. He was like, yeah, you know, I know how to stream my music on Spotify. And just that alone to me was like, what? Like, we can do that? And he was like, yeah, man, you can do it yourself. They got apps for it now. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So started making music. And, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that initial music you make is not that good. So <laughs> if y'all ever want to hear some real janky stuff, look up my SoundCloud. Very, uh, very early trying to figure out what, what am I doing? But uh, I got to the point where I finally got confident and uh, I put out a song called All Hell Breaks Loose. Like the man out here with 
Would you be that same man in jail? Tough times may prepare you for the rain, but can you stand the hell? Now they all want to hell the great when all hell breaks loose. Them tall tales ain't true. You rain the homies, but them calls fell through. Next time, you really need to listen to what your mom tells you. Before them Cooper shell you, and this time, not even your mom bells you. I've been burning that I tear from Katie all the way to my Bellevue. Man, how many motherfucking times do I gotta tell you? The scariest scene of your nightmare, I'm the worst version of that clip. Mexican history X, your head in the curb, merging when I kick. I know it's hard to follow, cause some of my words virgin to your lips. I'm a rock star and a shooter, sometimes it's third person when I spit. Thrones turn into electric chairs when Chop don't like you. And even if you cool, he can't do nothing if the Glock don't like you. I don't know how you rep a hood when the whole block don't like you. You dudes living on borrowed time and the clock don't like you. crazy that one song opened up probably like the biggest door for me in the in the most you know the most in obscure way so you know I've been making music since and drop music after that but there was a producer that uh that heard all hell breaks loose that original that my, that's my first song back he heard it really messed with me put me on a tape put me on shows uh you know, now, uh, now, you know, now his production company, they're my main engineer, the main people that do my videos, you know, they do a lot of my cover arts, uh, put a lot of my events together, just off the first song that I released. It's crazy. You never know. And, you know, it's great. I have a friend that's still his favorite song of mine to the day, which is kind of like an insult because it's my first song back. <laughs> and I've dropped so much since that. And he was like, man, nah, you haven't topped that. And I'm like, bro, it's fucking yeah. those were getting those were right getting back into it, bars, man. Like I, I, I <laughs> You're just trying to keep you hungry, right? It's just like you just gotta keep 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 getting that. But it, it it's good to have that one friend that just tells you you're fucking whack, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I have the yeah, right every every other week, right? Well, you have to tell me you have to remind me something. Rate it in, rate it in. How's that? I'm just like, nah, I'm just gonna go buck. It'd be like yeah. that ain't it. That ain't it. Yeah. It's something that's really a testament to it. It's like it's sometimes it's not necessarily what you say on a song, it's how you make people feel in a given moment, too, that really yeah. stands out to them. Oh yeah. I mean you know, I grew up in oh, the yeah, like no, hardcore punk scenes, right? That is very true. You know, it's all about like Cause it's crazy, uh, you know. I don't know if y'all ever watched the Travis Scott documentary. I have not yet. No, <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't seen that one yet. No, so, to the list, bro. There'll be there'll be people on there that'll be like, "Man, Travis Scott saved my life." And to me, I'm like, "How?" Like I've heard, the no. <laughs> but I think it's just like a, it's a moment in time. You know, that's why a lot of people try to recreate stuff, but it's like you can't because it wasn't necessarily the lyrics. Or the song is that sometimes it's the moment. Yeah, no, it encapsulates a feeling that someone had, you know? Yeah, I know. It's just like NWA, fuck the police. You know, if you drop that at the wrong time, it might be corny. It might not really catch it. But at that time, with, you know, the riots and just, you know, people being fed up, fucking lit a match. So it's, it's a lot of time it's just about, you know, the moment. It's really a testament to, you know, right time, right place. Oh yeah. yeah you know, I could easily see, you know, you know, our people still go through a lot. So if Jag were to in coincidentally drop the right song 
that made people the right type of way, that shit will fucking blow up. I've heard enough Jag to know that he doesn't even want that. But at that point, <laughs> at that point, it wouldn't be his choice no more. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I'm sure Jag will, Jag will be very humbled <laughs> yeah. when he hears this episode. <laughs> Jag makes a lot of music that are really just, you know, on top of the fact that it's very informative, it just kind of reminds you, like a lot. The one of the main things that Jag Jag says is like how we, you know, people call people no sabo kids. We were just talking about this shit. It's like, yeah, you're you're insulting them for not using one colonizer's language against yours. Like, really think about it. Like, really think deep. What are what are you? We're we're so quick to like put down our own people. You know, yeah. the horizontal accountability. You know, it's like we hold each other more accountable and more to task than people sometimes even think to hold the system or these yeah. actual forces that have power. You know, it'd be like bringing up that shit to somebody. Be like, no, no, I don't want to talk about billionaires. I don't want to talk about like the ruling class or whatever. I want to talk about. You know, this person I got a gripe with that I'm trying to, uh, you know, check a little bit or gatekeep or whatever, you know? Yeah, and then, you know, um, and this is this another thing, you know, going back to, like, capitalism and everything. It's like, I kind of hate this whole, like, you know, when people are doing very well, it's like, man, thank God. But it's like, how do you use that, that uh, perception to justify, like, all the bad in the world? Like... It's like, just because you're doing well, it's like, man, God is great. But then it's like, take a look around, man. Like, it's, right. Precisely. it's not. And that's where it goes back to this. Like, sometimes I'll be listening to Jack and then he'd be talking about, you know, Castro. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. You know, you know, I heard he do. I don't know. I'm on the fence. But I was like, I do know capitalism isn't it either. So it's like, where's the middle ground, you know? Oh, I feel it. Sometimes you got to just go see it to believe it sometimes, right? Because, uh, I mean, in a certain way, like... Um, it's definitely a change that needs to happen, for sure. Oh, hell yeah. You know, and if anything, I think we can all recognize that. Like, I think that's what, like, vibes... I vibe so much with what a lot with Jag and, and, and Threat and everybody that we've talked to, frankly, is talking about. It's like, I think there's this general vibe that we all feel is like, yo, this is not it. Like, we're all rapping about, like, we're all talking about these different experiences... But the shared threat is like, yeah, we could be living better than we are. But yeah, we're and not. it's just it, it's even when I just hear people like have conversations about uh million dollar watches, and like to me, that's fucking crazy. Like, yeah, million dollar watch that's a thing. It's a that's, thing. And why is that so uplifted? Yo, like, why is it that like people talking about real stuff? Like, you're talking about fatherhood, you're talking about, for example, a little earlier, before I think we even started the actual formal show, we were talking about like these ideas around like machismo and masculinity and stuff, you know, stuff like that. Frankly, you're talking about like it's underground hip hop. It's not like mainstream. And I wonder sometimes like if the the factors about like ownership, who owns the media we're consuming in the sense of like, well, people obviously are more incentivized to keep us all like scrapping with each other, arguing about million dollar watches and shit. And like stuff that uplifts our community, talking about like empowering ourselves, taking control of our communities, you know, like- Oh, and then we'll get, deliver the, it. we'll get the criticism, man, that's corny. Like- Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, that's lame. Like, yeah, the stuff that, it, yeah, it's definitely, I like to, and then, you know, it's kind of like Kanye, you know, he got in trouble for pointing out a lot of stuff, but it's kind of like, man, who is really controlling? You know, one thing I like that he said, and it's funny because I thought about it, and it's like before, you know, before T'Challa and before Chadwick Boseman, you Google Black Panthers, you get the Black Panthers. Yeah. 
you know, the 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 group that was fighting for, you know, the rights of African Americans. Well, now you Google Black Panther and you get a Disney character and you get you get a world that didn't exist. So it's kind of like, you know, there's a stand-up comedian that says, like, you know, don't get me wrong, I don't believe in every conspiracy theory, but I'm I'm more worried about people who believe in no conspiracy theories because like you think your government never lies to you. Yeah. Those people are usually sipping like a chai latte and pretty comfortable in a gated community somewhere. Like, no, America's good. It just got some some little things like aesthetics surface stuff. Yeah, but it's like for real. Like, if you think about it too, like in that movie, the CIA is the good guy. The irony, right? It was just like they're like, oh, we need the CIA saves Africa, which is like, what the what alternate reality are we living in? There, there's a lot of people that get labeled extremists, but a lot of them have hidden gems that you gotta. You got to pick like, okay, yes, I see it. I see it. I see it. You know, I think a system that prioritizes, you know, profit over like people's health. Like I literally have to walk over people dying on the streets here in San Diego. I literally saw somebody, somebody scraping shit off their, their shoe yeah. on the way to the trolley. And that's like the real human, like we want to talk about real talk about like what capitalism Honestly, is like, that's it. I was worried that they were going to kill uh, Mark Cuban because Mark Cuban started that website to where you could go get your meds. And like um, the the price, I don't know if y'all knew about that, but Mark Cuban is like pretty much wage war on the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical industry. And he has medicine that's like probably like a 70% to 80% markdowns from what you know you could get it at Walgreens sure I mean I haven't heard nothing about it but I know that like let me put this way just like our communities aren't monoliths the the community of the ruling class billionaires like the people that own the factories and the far, the big farms and yeah. basically the the methods of production in this country all of them they're not a monolith either so every so often one of them steps out of line you know they got factions they're all competing with each other too yeah. I think it's interesting. And when we see those factions get like paralysis, because sometimes they beef with each other so hard that shit really starts falling apart. That's where we see some of the most creative, I think, art come out. So the hip hop, you know, talking about the real narrative starts creeping through because when they're paralyzed fighting with each other other over what their vision for like what the future should be like, that's when we're able to kind of slip our narrative in there a little bit more easily and speak to the conditions of our people. So yeah, that's why I think of the power of hip hop is too. In a lot of ways, it's like, yo, these cracks start showing when you got like people like Mark Cuban out there who's like, you know, a really rich dude, right? A guy that like, frankly, is like a big owner of huge chunks of of stuff, right? But he's out here like pointing out contradictions that obviously other sectors don't want to like be having to deal with of like, yo, why is my, you know, insulin so expensive? So, (laughs) you know, it's wild stuff that we're seeing even, you know, themselves, like these people, they can't even, they got all this power. They can't even be united amongst each other. And they're out here giving us like, they'll literally sell us the rope that we will use the shovel to bury them all with, which I'm appreciative for. Thank you. It's the it's the blips in the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like when you when you see the cat twice. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, it goes to show they're smart, but not they're not that smart. You know what I'm yeah. saying? They're not they're not as smart as they think they are. Yeah. Yeah, man. You know, shout out to uh, shout out to Jag Threat, Azamali, all the people. Oh, from for sure. Cos- yeah. Go. Cos- of course, you know, out there for. Um, you know, pointing all this stuff out, you know, and sharing that on not just through their music, but their social media. Right. But that uh, that kind of take you know, speaking of friends of the show, though, that kind of leads us on to our next question. You know, uh, earlier this year, you released your project Vader Time, 
And that album has a very dark and boom bap inspired um, sound. And it was produced by our friend, Acosta the Man, making another shout <laughs> out Acosta the Man, making another appearance on this show. Um, yo, tell us a little bit about that, the backstory to that project, man. You know, how did you and Acosta link up? What was the recording process of that project like? And you'll kind of describe that journey of making those songs together. So yeah, um, it's kind of crazy. So we have a we have a guy out here in Houston who started a page about three years ago as well. I probably linked up with him maybe like two years ago. It's called a uh, Latinx Hip Hop, mm. and he started. He felt like there was a need for more representation for hip hop. Uh, you know, lat Latinos doing hip hop in Houston. He didn't really see a, a lot of people. He didn't really see the the culture, you know. He didn't see. He's seen the absence. So he started resharing a lot of my stuff, and then you know I would see that he would reshare a lot of other people's stuff, and he slowly created a community of artists supporting each other. So then he started having these term tournaments to shed a little more light. So then he did a you know rapper tournament. Well, then he did a producer tournament. And it's funny because I had a homie in there. His name is Bad Child. And I remember on my story, I was like, man, ain't nobody fucking with Bad Child. And then, uh, so then I'm checking out the contestants and one of them is Acosta. And the video that he submitted was him actually like doing the beat. And I was like, oh, like, I was wrong. This motherfucker nasty. <laughs> This motherfucker just wearing a hat, glasses, and a psychedelic shirt. I was like, I was like, who is this guy? So I followed him. I told him that I thought he was dope, and I guess just off of that, he kind of he kind of like started listening to me. And he was like, hey man, you're really dope. And I was like, well, shit, you know, I think you're dope. You think I'm dope? Like, you know, you trying to work? And he sent me a, he sent me a song called. Uh, uh, he sent me a beat called Driller Killer, which is like total Acosta, like fucking 70s, 60s B fucking slasher films. I knew exactly what it was when he sent it to me, and I was like, oh, okay, that's what's up. Um, I'm liking the names on these beats. So I heard it, and uh, I dropped a song and video to that called Hugo Stiglitz. Um, if you haven't checked it out, I recommend it. It's a cool little track. Begin too personal. Let's get back to the bars. Y'all gassed up. Not solid, stop acting so hard. I'm liquid swords on the beat, no drought around. Thousand rounds, thousand clowns, I don't ever pile around. Why so aggressive? That's just perspective. They got me more respect. Shit, my biggest critic is my reflection. My biggest goal is adding more value to my succession. Y'all think I'm popping cause at the club, y'all got a section. I think I'm popping cause the kids I love, no affection. Let injections for infections from any direction. Y'all worried about complexions. I'm worried about connections. Free the ones in corrections. Do the deception. Homie started confessing. Lawyer ain't objecting. Accosted the way we sounding. I think we need a collection. All this crack on the track. We bout to fell inspection. I'm killing this shit. Straight blows to the midsection. Finna give him a heart attack with this dissection. It appears that a drill was the murder weapon. Call the reverend. I think them demons back again. Funny thing is I took flight knowing that I
it was just kind of an introduction, you know. When I started working with producers, one song first. And, you know, see the reception and see how you know, feel about it. You know, see if it goes. And a lot of people really liked Hugo Stiglitz. He was like, man, you really got back to the bars with it. Because uh, leading up to Hugo Stiglitz, I had made a lot of, like, introspective music. Uh, talking about fatherhood and talking about, you know, the... You know the culture and the stuff I didn't like about it, as far as Mexican men go. And um, so, on that song, I kind of just really just got back to the bars with it, and a lot of people liked it. So then um, after that, you know, you know. So what I started doing is he has a lot of beat tapes on Spotify. So I started listening to every beat tape, and I would text him like, "Hey, has anybody used this? Has anybody used this? Has anybody used this?" And after I got like a good collection of hey beats that people hadn't used, then I was like, man, you know, I started making songs and I was like, man, I think we could make a tape together. You know, what do you think? And he was like, oh, I'm down. So what I would do is I would, you know, I would record a song. And the first one I did after Hugo Stiglitz was Vader Time. And originally it was going to be just one song. And I just kind of ran my ideas with him. And I used to think that Acosta was just a very agreeable person because he'll never tell me no, but only come to find out he's pretty picky. But we were just on the same, like, same uh, wavelength. So every idea that I had, he actually thought was dope. He wasn't just being a yes. I just think I was like, man, I want him to tell me no at some point. So I just don't think he's like agreeing with me about everything. But we just happened to be like on the same exact wavelength. And I was able to tell more and more when I started listening to the other artists he worked with. Cause I was like, man, Navy Jones is dope too. And then man, well, he does a lot of beats for Jag and Jag is dope. Um, so just off of that, I was like, okay, he works with other dope artists. So I'm pretty sure if I sent him something whack, he would tell me like, hey bro, this is whack. Then I told him, I was like, look, you know, I'm going to do these beats and I'm incorporate some wrestling, get some like skits in there, have some wrestling bars, get some like promos. You know, I love like early 90s, like wrestling promos, the the Ultimate Warrior and the Jake the Snakes and the Roddy. <laughs> Those right there is just it's um, I don't think they do it like that no more. You know, no offense to the Roman Reigns of the world. But them 90s, them 90s fucking shoot promos were something else, man. Just Ultimate Warrior flexing until his veins probably about to pop out his skin. Uh, they, oh, yeah. The Road Warriors, or even like then you got your cock people like Mr. Perfect and Rick Rude. It's just like, it just felt so real at the time. Like you're like, man, I hate this guy. Or man, this guy's too cocky. I hope he gets beat up. And it, I will give him the benefit of the doubt. I did grow up. So maybe all of that seemed way more real when I was younger. <laughs> of course. So I can see a kid, you know, I, I understand why kids love John Cena, but, you know, me watching John Cena at that time, I was just like, man, this guy sucks. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have the same flares. Like, yeah, it just I, doesn't have the same flair like when you grow up, and, you know. Um, but just like that, so I bounced a lot of ideas off of him. And, uh, man, he was rocking with everything. I would send him, I was like, hey, you think this guy's dope? I want to put him on a song. 
And finally, after a while, you know, I was able to get the tape together and I was like, all right, look, got the cover art, got the tape, started promoting it with videos. You know, I did a lot of work into the promo, um, you know, doing doing a show before, did a lot of, you know, podcasts leading up to it, talking about it. And I even did a public service announcement on my Instagram. I was like, this is not like what you've heard before. <laughs> <laughs> This is grimy production and fuck and bars. There we go. Lay the foundation, like prepare yourself, you know. Yeah, you know, it really seems like a uh, like a match made in heaven, you know, because like on top of you know, both of you being on the same page as far as production and bars go, you know, both of you guys are huge movie heads. You know, I think that uh, collectively the three of us, you know, that's something that both you, I, and Acosta hold dear to our hearts is our love for cinema, particularly very old grindhouse and horror films and stuff of that nature yeah and it's crazy because it's like sometimes i get so many ideas i just need to slow down because like we've had different wrestling ideas and um are y'all wrestling heads i mean like i grew up in an era where let me put this way in east county san diego where like wrestling was like everywhere and like people talked about it i'm not i, I wouldn't put myself as like a huge fan but like i do let me put this way i do watch a fair amount of just like YouTube highlight stuff just for fun every once in a while. Yeah, well, we have to, I have to slow it down though, because I get so many concepts in my head. So, you know, me, me and Acosta do have some more like wrestling themed stuff in the future. And, but also, um, I haven't been able to wrap my head around the full idea of it, man. But I did want to make a project inspired by the movie uh, Raging Bull with, uh, with Acosta. But I'm so like I'm such a perfectionist about it that like I'm not gonna rush it. Like it's gonna happen naturally. And you know, for that sound, you know, that move those that that tape to me wouldn't be as grimy as Vader time. Uh it would still have it the hints of the grime, but you know, you think Raging Bull, you think seven, you know, you think that the early 80s, you know, it was like the golden era of like just the Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro collaboration. So it's like, it's gotta be dope. Like it, if I, if I'm, if I'm a call it raging bull, it's gotta be dope. It just can't be a throwaway. It can't be nothing. Like it has to be, this is why I had the the nerve to call it that, you know? You know, there's going to be a joint called Jake LaMotta on there for sure. <laughs> All of that. Jake LaMotta, <laughs> raging bull, Jake LaMotta versus sugar. <laughs> it, it's definitely gonna be theme, you know, Joe Pesci track on there. Damn, yeah, the Joe Pesci track. Yeah. If anything, I can't help. But every time we like bring up something, I always think of this fool's habit of being like, "What's the title of this track gonna be?" I was like, "A little bit of grime." I'm like, I'm always just thinking about like, you know, the appropriate the appropriate title for for these interviews. No, thank you though. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Yo, man. So, um, to close on that note, it's really incredible how Acosta can fine-tune his production to each specific artist and still remain true to the sound, whether it's yourself or it's uh, Cosmic Force, uh, Navy Jones, or even a, a group like Indigenous Cats, which fall a little bit out of his wheelhouse, but he still produces something that still sounds uh, uniquely him, but also stays true to the aesthetics of the of that artist as well. Yeah, and uh, I could ask him for stuff, and like, there's some people you got to explain stuff to, but I feel like he's we're on the same wavelength, so I'm like, man... 
I kind of need a psychedelic beat. He already knows what I'm talking about. He's like, oh, I mean, I need some with some Samoan drums. He knows what I'm talking about. Like, it's not a, I know, I know for a fact he doesn't go Google it. Like, he knows what I'm talking about. Oh, you know, Costa, he'll be like, oh, word? Okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, oh, word. Like, kind of going into, like, you know, your artistry a little bit. You know, you said that as an artist, you describe your music as intellectual, inter introspective, and unorthodox. You know, you kind of describe your method as verbal kung fu from braggadocious and highbrow punchlines and, you know, colorful pop culture references. And then you got uh, stories, though, of like reflection and, you know, past hardships. And in this music, you know, it's kind of, it's it shines through that you know you really strive to show that lyricism isn't dead which is definitely reflected in like you know your influences like biggie nas um big l you trying to show that lyricism it's not dead it's just showing it's just switching up its style and i wanted to ask you as an artist that what keeps you inspired to keep your pen game sharp and always you know pushing the boundaries of your lyricists and also keeping up pace with your lyrical peers also who are making music elsewhere in the country so a big a big inspiration for me is actually just the the it's crazy because I say inspiration, but it's more of like the lack of in, in my own city, because I feel like, you know, for example, you know, New York just if you think about MCs and you think New York, you I can name like 30, you know. I can name one third of that with just saying the Wu Tang, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a lot, a lot of the time, I feel like, man, I know, I know that many dope lyricists right here in the city, but the rest of the country and even the world doesn't know. Like they just still put us in that double cup candy paint, you know. I done came down, screwed and chopped, uh, you know. That's still, for the most part, unless it's something trendy that's happening at the time, when you think Houston, that's what it always goes back to. So, you know, one of my main goals is to be like, nah, man, I want Houston to be known for, you know, being a hip hop city, for bars, for grimy and different style, not just grimy, but different style production. That That's one of the main things that keeps me going. And, you know, that's one of my goals, like, I feel like I wanted to eventually there'd be a documentary like about the hip hop scene in Houston and how it got more lyrical and be like, oh, well, shit is one of the early pioneers was Chop the Father because, you know, New York has that, you know, L.A. kind of has that. But a lot of the L.A. greats aren't overly known for their lyricism. You know, you got your Snoop Dogs and uh, Ice Cube was that guy. But like I say, you know, he 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 did his projects and then he kind of moved on into like the more trendy stuff. And you got your two shorts, you know, your E-40s. I think all of those had more of a vibe than actual lyricism. Yeah, very yeah. true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's a, that's, a, that's a perfect way to really put it, actually. And um, so like I want Houston to be like, man, nah, them dudes got like them dudes got bars. But at the same time, I see LA trying to do the same thing. You know, I've listened to Viva Mescal, I've listened to Jag, even though Navy Jones is from New York, he's over there now. Um, I don't know if y'all familiar with the the Yotes. Um, no, we have a yeah, man, y'all should, should check them out. They're two brothers over there, and they were on that last lighter fluid with uh, Viva Mezcal, uh, Asamali. So I see y'all trying to do the same thing, and the only difference is I see, I, I feel like there's 
there's gaining traction and appreciation over there on the West Coast for bars. Where down here is kind of like, uh, well, you know, we see you, but we're not pushing you yet. No, I feel it. Like, I definitely want to give a shout out to, like, the Filipino comrades and the Kasamas putting it out with, like, B-Rock uh, lately with, like, Bamboo, Rocky G, like, Rocky Rivera, all these other, like, people that you mentioned that are trying to bring back, like, some lyricism and some style yeah. uh, on the West Coast because, yeah, like, there was, like, that vibe, that vibe mentality that yeah. uh, obviously is very commercially successful, too, right? Like, it's like... Oh, yeah, of course. But, and it, it's but, cool. Yeah, I, just think, I think there needs to be a balance, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And I feel like that's what there's lack of. Definitely. Especially in this era, I feel like, you know, kind of expand that question. I wanted to ask, you know, what's it like being like an underground hip hop head in Houston? Because I kind of feel like when we talk about like these scenes, like we do tend to kind of go to the coast. We think like we think New York or we think L.A., which, of course, you know, like both of these regions have very vibrant and healthy underground scenes what's it like in houston you know like kind of paint a little bit of a picture for people that aren't from the city because i think that you're right there is a certain perception of the region that people think you know when they think of houston yeah they forget the gulf coast (laughs) (laughs) yeah man so like i said it's crazy because i've been doing this and um there's definitely a need for it but i don't know if it's like there's people who gave up already there's people that feel like, oh, it's not really going to happen. But I get so many people that hit me up and they're like, man, I appreciate what you do because you make real music. You make relatable music or you just make lyrical music where it's just like, I don't feel like an idiot after I heard your track because I actually had to listen. You know, <laughs> Don't get me wrong. We all have our like moments where we just want to just listen to something stupid like that's not very... Sure. Uh, not going to get a lesson out of it, but there is an absence for it. Um, some people don't know that they're missing out on it. You know, I get a lot of people like I do, I do features with other artists that maybe aren't the most lyrical, but a lot of, a lot of their fans will hit me up and be like, man, I'm glad that you brought them on that type of track because I, you know, it was a, it was a breath of fresh air to hear them on something different. And it's just a breath of fresh air in general to hear something different. And, you know, pro- you know, same thing. I know Viva Mezcal is doing that movement out there, like the pretty much, you know, fuck pay to play. Like, you know, it's become such a everybody gets paid but the artist and the artist has become like the main consumer. The video guy gets paid, the promoter gets paid, the venue gets paid the um, the producer gets paid everybody gets paid but the artist so it went from being centered around the artist to now the artists are the fans the artists are the consumers you you try to get like 10 20 people to perform on one lineup and it's artists performing to other artists and mm-hmm. it's trying to change the narrative and get the fans back you know the fans back into the music And I feel like the only way you do that is if you give them something to really invest in. So if you give them cookie cutter, like who's going to want to invest in that? You know, that's just poppy radio shit. Creating a local fan base that's investing in you because you're actually about something. You're actually doing something into the community. So that's why I see, you know, I see a lot of people turn up for JAG and uh, Native Threat because they are out here like... They are, they are, I see it like enough. They're doing shit. They're, they're, 
I see little kids going up to them like, hey, you know, can you sign this? Or, hey, their mom's being, hey, I want you to take a picture with my kid because they're their lyrics mean something and i feel like that's how you get the the fan base to come to the shows and come pack them out and come support and you know if you make a little money off of it cool you know yeah. uh, if it blows up that's cool too but it has to go back to why are you doing it if you're only doing it to blow up well then you'll never yeah i mean you'll never really truly be happy and a lot of the time you know you got to think it's just like the nba a lot of people do it, but the percentage of are you going to make it that far? Like, yeah, you know, it's it's very low. So if you're only doing it for the money, it's like playing the lottery. If you get money off of it, great. Of course, everybody wants to get paid off their passion. But the main enjoyment you get from it should be that it's something you enjoy, you know, it's something that you like to do. Yeah, you know, and I think that's a good way of looking at it because people they're all looking for something right now. Like all a lot of people, the society grinds them down and people put a premium on somebody that can like stand by what they believe and, and put their money where their mouth is. Uh, we've seen that play out in a whole variety of ways, you know, depending on who's the person, you know, doing the talking. Right. But like, I do think that like, yeah, you mentioned there's like a hunger for that realness, for that passion. Right. Because a lot of people, I don't know, you've probably experienced this. I do a fair amount of, of talking. People will walk up and just be like very public and very open about like, yo, I respect some you know something that they feel like they themselves couldn't do yeah. maybe even if that's not true even if like anyone can get up and if they put their mind to it you know create something that might be really cool people don't feel that way so giving people an outlet an opportunity to do that i think is powerful you know and it obviously gives the people yeah. that do that like jag you know an opportunity to be powerful culture creators you know it makes me, you know, it, it makes me a little sad, but at the same time, like, I appreciate it. People come up to me and be like, man, I'm glad you're doing, you know, your passion because I never did mine. Mm. And, you know, it sucks to hear that. But at the same time, it's like, well, shit, let me be, you know, I remember uh, Jay Cole on his Twitter had said um, a long time ago, like early, like early J. Cole, he said, uh, my story is not the only one that I'm telling. So it's like, man, let me be, let me be your voice. You know, if you feel like you got something to say, or you feel like you got a story, I will more than gladly, without faking the funk, I will never, you know, try to pretend, you know, there's certain, uh, there's certain things that I write in my music that was the experience of a friend that either, you know, got caught up in drugs or uh, got caught up and, you know, you know, got locked up or, you know, isn't just doing their life didn't turn out the way they wanted. And I was like, look, man, do you mind if, you know, I, you know, kind of tell your story within my music? And they're like, no, I would love nothing more. And, you know, they and that's the thing is I've been able to uh, pack out uh, two, uh, you know, two prestigious venues here in the city. And I know there's a lot of people that wonder why. But it's like, man, you know, I promote them the right way and I, I give people something to invest into. It's like if you're making some shit, you know, just with the hopes that it might get some radio play, like you got to you want people to invest in you or you have to be more invested than anybody else. They yeah. got to They got to see that you care as much as you want them to care. You got to care to me twice as much as anybody. If you really yeah, yeah. want to bring fans to the show, if you want people to buy merch, if you want people to listen to your music, 
you got to give them something worth investing in and not on a financial level, just on an emotional level, spiritual level, like actually make a difference when they listen to you. Right. People going to tell what's artificial, right? And there's so much artificial yeah. being pumped. It's like, literally, I say this all the time, but I'm embarrassed. I'm going to say it one more time, Rob. Um, people will literally like go out there and like dump tuna salad on their mom and shit just for likes and clout or whatever, because they're like, you know, that's what they, you know, that's what that they're seeing, right? That's like what's being promoted by the algorithm and stuff. And that's what's being, you know, seen as successful. But a lot, there's a certain level. I think people are exhausted by that shit, right? So people want to, yeah. people want what's real. People want that speaks to their conditions, you know? And I mean, I don't want to change the subject too much. Cause I mean, I obviously as we, as Rob will test, we'll sometimes just like let the conversation drift. I kind of want to talk about something that's kind of relevant to what I do. I'm a community organizer. Rob's the like hip hop expert resident, but I do like community organizing work. And so of course, you know, the political discourse right now, obviously nationwide, very, very, very sharp, right? There's a lot of conflict going on. Uh, you're in Texas, right? That's like, you know, on ground zero for a lot of these culture wars that are being waged. I mean, I just want to get your general vibe on like, what's the state of not only just like political discourse. I mean, you're talking about a place where you say the wrong thing to the wrong person, you might just get shot up at like the Whataburger or whatever. Um, but also like uh, the, the general climate in the country right now. Do you think, you know, we need more or less civility, you know, in, in the scene and in, in the society at large? You know, it's, it's it, you know, it's kind of calmed down a little bit, but you know, everything gets crazy around uh, uh, election year and uh, everybody yeah. gets in the sensitive and, you know, the thing about social media that I hate is like everybody's an expert all of a sudden. It's kind of crazy because it's like you go out into the world and it feels like not much of it exists as far as like the the ongoing war between your extremists on the left side and your extremists on the right side. But then you go on social media and it's all you see. And then you have to sit there and question, why is this all I see? You know, when you, you go out into the world and, you know, nobody's fucking yelling at you, screaming at you or like telling you about their opinions or you should be this, you should be that. And then you go on social media and that's where you see all the political, the political arguments of the century, the, the post with 600 comments and all this and that. And I still, the Rihanna being the worst Super Bowl performance of all time, but then it's a bunch of, it's a hundred white guys. So then you got to really look like, why do they hate her this much? Like Bill Gold. Bill Goldberg came out the woodworks and been like worst performance of all time. It's like Goldberg, why are you watching it? Right. I'm surprised yeah. you're not somewhere ruining somebody else's career and shit. <laughs> but yeah. uh yeah, it's just kind of crazy, man. And uh even with like we had the Uvaldi uh shooting not too long ago, and it's just like nothing was done like to this day. Like it really just in a sense. They just charged it to the game. And it's kind of like, that's not shit that you charge to the game. And, you know, I like to bring a clip up that I just seen uh, recently about Jon Stewart, where he was, I don't know the other guy, but they were arguing about um, kids not being allowed to go to the, what are those shows with the, I don't want to say it wrong. The Come on, drag shows? Yes, yes. And uh, John Storr asked him why. He's like, because the, the government has a responsibility to protect children. 
And he was like, yeah, you know, except when it comes to guns, which are the number one reason for for children dying. So it's like, here's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. You want to say I'm a Second Amendment purist and I'm making it safer. You're not. You're making it more chaotic. And that's not a matter of opinion. That's the truth. That is a matter of opinion, John. But why take away their tools? Because certain of their tools that they're using would be infringements upon the people's right to keep and bear arms, upon their constitutional rights, upon due so process, you're saying upon other things. That registering is an infringement. Yes. Okay. Is voting a right? It's a right for citizens. Yes. Do you have to do anything to do it? Yes. What do you have to do? It depends on the state. What do you have to do? Sometimes you have to be, you have to be at least 18 years old. What do you have to do? And Keep in going. some places you have to uh -huh. have a government issued ID. What do you have to? You have to. You have to be on the voter rolls. Register. You have to register. Hmm? So you have to register to a right. Is that an infringement? Does the right to voting say shall not be infringed? Oh, so this is just a semantic argument now. No, it's not. You believe voting rights can be infringed because it doesn't say specifically is it shall an, not be infringed. Is it an infringement upon a 17-year-old's right to vote since they don't have that right to vote? No. Oh, we, it's not an infringement on them? No, okay. absolutely not. Why not? You're Because you're the one making the argument, not me. I'm saying even rights have responsibilities and that within those responsibilities, responsibilities are responsibilities yes. and order Otherwise, it's chaotic. I'll go you one further. You want to ban drag show readings to children. To my why? yes. Why? 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 What are you protecting? Why can we prohibit children from voting, those under 18 from voting? Why are you banning also that? Is, is that free speech? Are you infringing on that performer's free speech? They can continue to exercise their free speech, just not in front of a child. Why? Because the government does have a responsibility to protect. I'm sorry? The government does have a responsibility uh -huh. in certain instances to What's protect children. What's the leading cause of death? amongst children in this country, and I'm gonna give you a hint, it's not drag show readings to children. Correct, yes. So what is it? I'm presuming you're gonna say it's firearms. No, I'm not gonna say it like it's an opinion. That's what it is. It's firearms, more than cancer, more than car accidents. And what you're telling me is, you don't mind infringing free speech to protect children from this amorphous thing that you think of, but when it comes to children that have died, you don't give a flying fuck to stop that because that shall not be infringed. That is hypocrisy at its highest order. So it's like, it's like they they like these certain statements and phrase. There's this big like protect our kids, protect our kids, you know. Right. And I I even had a homie like was like, man, I hate Lil Nas X. And he was like, why? He's like, he said fuck my children. And I was like, is that really what he said? Like he said fuck your kids, and it's like. There's a there's a lack of accountability as parents where they think like this fake social media is responsible for that for their future outcome. And to me, that's just a, a lack of actually, you know, teaching your kids, you know, what's right, what's wrong and, um, you know, how how to go about because at the end of the day, a lot of this isn't real. It's all just on the screen, you know, right now, you know, I could turn my screen off and go back to my actual life and my actual kids. So it's too much like, oh, they're pushing this to their kids. They're pushing this on my kids. They're pushing this on my kids. And the only time a lot of these people get aggressive is when it's the the LGBTQT thing. But when it's like a guy could turn 18 and go buy a gun and get it the same day, that's not an issue. No, right. Not at all. 
Now, if anything, that's about freedom, right? It's like they, that's the argument that gets brought up all the time. It's like, yo, it's about, you know, freedom for this, like, fucked up white, white boy to go over and shoot up a public place. But where's, like, the freedom for our families to be safe from, like, I don't know, being separated at the border? Or where's, like, our freedom from, like, literally... Getting shot up at a Walmart. Yeah, getting shot, you know, by these effed up people, you know? So, I mean, it's like, yo, definitely, I think, you know, something that, like, I hear a lot, too, is, like... um the civility argument like you know that like in these spaces like if there's somebody out here you know we got to be we got to share the table with these like angry angry racist people and stuff you know and yeah, yeah so, it, like, you know, we shouldn't be tossing out people in the garbage can like you know piecemeal but i think it's interesting stuff that that's the narrative where's the accountability for the people doing real harm you know i've never seen no lgbtq person you know like that does a drag show that goes out and like shoots up a public school that's like some straight up cis hat dude shit only. You got the exclusive corner on that market. Yeah, it's just a lot of the 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 pick and choose narratives. Like it's funny, I seen this old clip from like back in the day where it was like uh I guess they had just made it illegal to drink and drive. Oh, and they're yeah. like, oh, they're oppressing us. Yeah. Oh, the government's trying to control us. Still, any attempt to restrict drinking and driving here is viewed by some as downright undemocratic. It's kind of getting common this when a fella can't put in a hard day's work, put in 11, 12 hours a day, and then get in your truck and at least drink one or two beers. They're making it laws where you can't drink when you want to. You can't. You have to wear a seatbelt when you're driving. And pretty soon we're going to be a communist country. And of what course, seatbelts? It's communism. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, what next? They're going to have us brush our teeth and shit? Like, it's like, know, the, it's like too the, much, yeah. The government can't be the hero, the hero and your villain at the same time. You know, it's it's you can't you can't you can't just use it as it benefits you because you know there's a lot of people, and I'm not going to get too much into politics because of course I think, I think our last election was a shit show either way, <laughs> uh, either way we went, but it was just like a lot of people were like, uh, you know, I made more money when Trump was in office. And I was like, well, why aren't you rich right now? Like, well, how'd you turn broke right. once Biden got in office? Like, you weren't you weren't saving, you weren't this, like you just got broke right away. Like he wasn't and, even uh, in office yet, you know? Yeah. The question isn't like, how could you go from fine to not fine so quickly? Yeah. Like, I don't want to live in a society where you can just get like whiplashed like back and forth, like it's like Depending on every four years, like your life might or might, may or may not be in shambles. Like, I, no, yeah, no, thank like, you. Why are you so like just one dimensional? Me, I feel like it doesn't matter who's in there. I'm going to take care of my business either way. Of course. I'll figure well, out. At the end of the day, well, so many people, right? Like we see yeah. like the low voter turnout. Yeah. Uh, don't let me, Rob, you got to stop me because I'm going <laughs> off on politics and I can do this all day. Yeah. I'll turn this into a political yeah, conversation. You know, but kind of, you know, like I said, we won't go too much of the politics, but kind so of back to the hip hop. Yeah, back to the program. You're gonna back the hip hop though, but sort of on that same level though. You know, hip hop is, with that being said, one of the most powerful and significant musical genres, as well as social movements of the past fifty years. And I kind of wanted to get, you know, tell us your thoughts about hip hop's power to build unity and enlighten the masses and the fuel mechanisms for change. Because, like you said, you know, we do see like. It's the same old thing. Something happens, there's a bunch of outrage, and then nothing changes. But we see that, like, in a lot of ways, though, music and art as a whole can be that catalyst where, like, sure, it's not pushing the legislation, but it gets the message out there. It builds awareness, and it could be the catalyst for, you know, 
bringing people's attention to these plights. Fight the power. Right? You know, I think I think it's genuine. It could be very genuine, and if used the right way, can be like a great weapon. But you got to really sit here and just not conform to what you think sounds good. You know, do your research because there's a lot of these industries that, you know, they're LGBTQT because of business, not because they actually feel that way. Or there's a lot of people that are anti-gun or they're, you know, you got to think, for example, like when the NBA fully supported the Black Lives Matter, it was business like. NBA does some of the most like shysty type stuff, bro. Like, yeah. like super, just even like right now, how we're seeing how, how Kyrie was basically like punished, you know, made an example of. And then you got a kid like John Morant out here just promoting, you know, thuggish like behavior, you know, for lack of better words, and kind of gets a slap on the wrist when you had a Kyrie shared a link to a to a movie or a book on amazon so it's like you know nba at the same time it's like don't don't let these corporations fool you into thinking that they got you you know look at it for what it is and just know that like true change and true true change and a true movement comes it's it's grassroots it has to always be grassroots actual people actual change actually getting better people and positions of power and to make an actual change but it's like oh you know i rounded up my dollar and donated to no like that's no no the target the target fund (laughs) that shouldn't be what makes you feel like you did your due your due diligence your due service like actual change actually treating people better actually going into your communities and helping and you know you know, I've been there. I've done the toy drives and all that, and um, I've done the you know the events where feeding the feeding the needy. Um, didn't throw on myself, but went to go help and went to go you know be a part of it. Actual community work, and as I'm saying, you get a lot of this like, oh, we donated this much. Well, like, how much did they actually get? You know, you see a lot of these charities where it's like, what did they actually get? Like, let. Show me the itemized bill. <laughs> yeah, it's an industry, you know, what we call the nonprofit industrial complex, right? Which is like the appearance of like, oh, we're doing so much to solve the problem that we're also creating, you know, simultaneously. It's like I saw something, a panel recently done that a cool organization called Code Pink just interrupted, which shout out to Code Pink. But it was like a panel that was like, women in the war industry put on by like Raytheon or one of these big defense contractors. And it's like, yo, like how like feminist or how intersectional is it to be bombing like women in like Yemen and like in other countries all over the world? It's like, yo, like if your feminism is like one that supports like imperialism, how like actually intersectional is it, you know? So it's like, yeah, I think it's important to be asking these questions of like, oh, like, you know, just because someone's our skin folk or whoever they are doesn't mean that they're our kin folk, right? They don't have the same interest because somebody could look like us and be selling our, you know, fucking likeness for lack of a better word for the highest profit. We talked about this actually yesterday with somebody who runs like a very important cultural center here in, in San Diego about the commercialization of what was like a very revolutionary radical identity, Chicano identity, you know, and how that's like a constant battle. So yeah, like, yeah, I think it's dope that you're talking about like, how the politics and hip hop, the activism and hip hop kind of stuff 
is only as powerful yeah. as like the grassroots people, you know. Yeah. It can't come from the top down. It's got to come from the bottom up. And they're really, yeah, you know, like to Rob's question, if if we don't let the hip hop movement get commercialized, that that's where it loses its its genuine, you know, that's where it loses its its, its actual like making a difference. So I feel like hip hop could be a great tool. We just got to watch, you know, who's taking care of it and who's actually behind the movement, you know, and and not letting these uh, like it's easy to let the big corporations get in because they help, quote unquote, fund the movement. But, uh, you know, at what point do we say, like, man, we're we're selling our soul? Yeah. And, yeah. and then we, we lose the traction. Like exactly. once it becomes that it's not ours no more. Like it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. If you're dependent on the oppressor's money, you know, obviously it's going to be real hard to do some shit that, you know, is real. When you'll be like, yo, but this thing that you're all doing is effed up. They'll be like, well, we'll take the money away. That really yeah. puts a real anchor around it. So you're right, like building institutions of power, whether they be cultural, right? Like these these hip hop, like these organic hip hop coalitions that we're seeing form with like Azamali and Cosmic Force and indigenous cats, like in, in producers like Acosta, you know, we were just talking about. You know, it's definitely, I think, the organic result of people recognizing that, like, yo, there's obviously very powerful, you know, cliques that form to, like, maintain, like, what is popular, what's the what's the standard, you know, status quo, but we've got to have our own institutions of power to promote our own interests, which obviously, you know, in this case is that, like, real grimy boom bap kind of, like, hip-hop, but one that tells a real story. Yes, sir, I agree. Sorry, I'm just going, I'm over here, I like, I like to make jokes uh, about like, you know, Mr. Mr. Rob over here, but I'm over here pre preaching over here on the, my bad, <laughs> to the hip hop. <laughs> I'm over here like about ready to be like, all right, and on this day, this we're going to start the meeting now, taking notes. There you go, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, let's talk, you know, more about that uh, underground hip hop shit that we all love so much and that brought us here, you know? So why do you think this style of hip hop is no longer like mainstream, for lack of a better word? Obviously, you know, we could talk all the all day about like the kind of mainstream rap or shit that we're hearing, a lot of like mumble rap, a lot of stuff that's talking about a lot of things that may or may not like be speaking to a lot of the stuff that people are going through. Um, but what do you think, like... Uh, do you think there's any way that people in the community can like change that popular culture? If so, like how, you know? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I feel like we can keep it alive, but I don't ever really see it being the main thing anymore. Like we'll have sparks of it too. Like for example, you know, Griselda got, got wavy and it became cool to be a dope lyricist again. And you've seen people coming back out and, you know, dropping project like Lloyd Banks came back out and, dropped like two great projects in a row so i always think there will always be a place for uh great lyricism great uh different you know grimy production uh boom bad production but it just i just i don't know i don't it's crazy it's kind of not trying to be negative or pessimistic but it's just like everything we do the more and more general population prefers everything to be more simple like oh we got an app for that or oh, there's a machine that does that uh you know just keep keep dumbing down everything and uh just everything the 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 average human being becomes less skillful less smart because it's like you were we're, we're moving into a society at least over here where everything could get done for you 
you know, you get somebody to come cut your yard, you get somebody to come clean your house, you get somebody to drive you like, and it's the same thing with music. I just feel like people want that, that instant gratification where like, oh, this beat's catchy or like, oh yeah, he said this, you know, it's, uh, it's just people are becoming just like way easily <laughs> more easily entertained you know it's the same thing it goes into cinema like i see the mcu gets a lot of hate and you know i kind of agree with it because you know i'll see people try to call it great cinema and it's like no it's not it's just like you know it's it's a popcorn flick like yeah. let's let let's not call it what it's not you wow. know so when when I see the score, when I see the Scorsese's of the world kind of be like, nah, this ain't it. This ain't what we used to do. I get it because it's just, it's your same plot. You know, the hero comes and then he's doing really good. He's about to win. Then he loses. He has a hardship. He oh, has to train. He has to train. And eventually, you know, with the right training and the right doing studies, you know, they, they win, they beat the bad guy and boom, movie over. So it's like people, you know, people shy away from stuff that, you know, makes them think. I mean, a lot of people too, like it comes down to like being exhausted, right? People like it gets reduced down to the emotion, right? That people are trying to express, right? Or trying to feel. And I mean, that's how you end up in a situation we have on the ironically named the learning channel reality yeah. TV. That's just like, absolutely dedicated to just being like yo escape escape from the suffering and that leads into the music too right where it's just like yo like you want to listen to something that just like drives hard that makes you just fucking feel like things are okay we're just gonna have that heavy bass and shit that's understandable and relatable right but it's definitely i think i think there's a famous revolutionary from guinea Bissau that said and i'm gonna fucking terribly paraphrase it but that like culture extends from the material conditions of a society in which it lives right so that like in a society where people are like stressed the fuck out and like worrying about shit like grinding working 60 plus hours like 70 percent of your check is going to housing and shit yeah. just trying to survive um it's the matrix. yeah people are just like you know fuck it i want what you know is accessible that makes sense and just what feels good and you know how do we how do we compete with that like you said it's hard when you're talking about shit that like fundamentally maybe like you know you're talking about some real shit but people are like yo that's kind of a bummer <laughs> you know yeah, you're out here being yeah. like yeah like this the spanish did some fucking shit and people are just like yeah that's that's right but i'm like tired as fuck y'all like uh, we gotta make sucks. this shit cool yeah exactly i think making it cool right is like our big struggle you know so yeah. i think it's cool yeah yeah definitely you know like and kind of going on that same line man so like you know with that Obviously, you know, it's it's a struggle. It's a struggle to make this stuff popular, you know, and to uh, make it re and make it relatable, you know, outside of like, you know, the very dedicated fan base. You know, what do you enjoy the most about being a hip hop artist? And conversely, what do you dislike the most about Good it? question. Um, what do I like the most? Because I could have easily started with like, well, I like this or what like that. But let me really sit here and try to think what do I like the most, man? Yeah, we had a recent guest like, who went on like a group a group of people that were like immediately in on like what was like the worst about it, which I appreciate. Which I'm like, yo, like pop off about what you thought was fucked up, yo. Yeah. So whichever order I think is dope. Uh, I think, man, uh, I'm not gonna lie. I love performing because the song is made, the song is recorded. Not to say I don't enjoy making the music, but it is a lot more like thought provoking and. You got to really, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like work, you know, 
even if it's your passion, you, if you really want it to be successful, you still got to treat it like work. But it's like, man, when you go perform it, the people already know it, you know it, it's made. And it's kind of like, you're just going out there to celebrate it. Like, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, so I love performing it. And it's like, you know, there's not a lot of feelings that I could compare to like the electricity you get from performing, you know, your stuff and people rocking it, people rocking with it, with their hands up and knowing the words. As far as the hate, it goes back into like a lot of the people that the quote unquote culture puts on are not good people, man, or, or do not have good values. So if I were to say one thing about this hip hop thing, I hate is like, man, I hate some of the people we make successful. I really do. Cause it's like the values aren't there. And you hear a lot of stories about how they treat people bad or, or they, uh, you know, they screw over certain people and it's kind of like, man, these are the people that we like, we're like, we listen to their dumb, like cookie cutter shit and put them on, blew them up and quote unquote, you know, fans of them. It's like, and they're not even, you know, they don't even end up being good people. And it's like, I just feel like should be more, try to be more selective or as a culture decide, like put, put good people in, in higher places. Cause you know, like, let's say, um, you know, if we want things to truly change, these are the type of people that we got to put in positions to create change. And we keep putting people that don't give a fuck, like goes back to like, you know, let's say, oh, he he's charging another local artist a thousand for the feature. You give him the thousand, he's just going to go buy drugs in a chain with it. Like he's not, he's not doing nothing for our community, you know, I, you know, so it's kind of like, and we invest in these people that don't invest nothing back. It, it becomes a just oh, me, me, me. Like they they just use it to like get even more separated from us. Yeah. So that's one thing. Like democracy. Yeah, that's one thing I hate about you know the the you know hip hop scene at least around here and just about hip hop in general is it's like man these you know I, a lot of these guys I don't even think are that dope to begin with. And then just to turn around and add to the fact that I just don't think they're that, you know, they're good people anyway. You know, like kind of following up with that, I kind of got like a two part question, you know, like what has been like the biggest obstacle that you've had to overcome as a musician? And conversely, with that being said, what advice would you give to young artists who want to make a name for themselves in the music biz, especially those that want to step out of the box and make unconventional sounding hip hop? Um, I would say the biggest obstacle is really just mentally like, could I, should I, would I do this? Just do it. You know, a lot of people spend a lot of time on should, you know, those three words, should, could, would. And it's like, nothing's easier than just doing it. Just start, you know, buy a mic or buy some studio time. See how you feel about it. You know, write some stuff down, uh, put it on SoundCloud, you know, just just do it you know i started on soundcloud you know i started with recording at the homie's house you know and um you know now i'm to the point where you know i'm engineering you know i'm i'm recording at a studio 
my stuff's on streaming services. I've, you know, I've made money off of it. I wouldn't sit here and say that, you know, I've, I made a lot of money off of it, but I've definitely made some money out of it. But just the, the biggest goal is just mentally just to start doing it and not being worried about people, what they're going to say, you know, definitely connecting with people. So a lot of, a there's a lot of opportunities in this that are paid opportunities that you paid it for those opportunities. And then there's a lot of opportunities that you'll get just off the connections that you make. So my thing with that is even though it might be different from, from the people around you, don't be afraid to connect with people that aren't exactly making the same type of music as you. Cause at the end of the day, it's like some of the best music is made through like, obscure ass fucking collaborations you know <laughs> you gotta think like rick rubin who did a lot of like rock music started doing hip-hop music and you know he killed that too so just to go down into like you know more of a local just now don't be afraid to make connections and you know actually be outside you know uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of people in this scene where they do everything on their phone and it's like you never see them. And it's like you'll never get people to invest in you if you're not an actual person, if you're not outside, if you're not talking to them. If you just want to sit there and just be on Instagram, be on Twitter, like it's hard to get somebody to invest in you if they don't know you. That's right. Yeah. That's like the argument we make in like the like kind of radical organizing spaces is like you're not going to have any kind of revolution if you're just going to do that shit behind the screen. You got to so be saying, out there in the streets. Yeah. I got a song called Dead Space on Vader Time where I said uh, million man marching from your living room. Like, <laughs> like well, you're not actually making say it. Like, uh, you got to be outside. You know, you got to be out here and actually doing it. You know, the the change is not inside your house on the phone, you know, no, posting, posting, you know, just memes. It's okay to do all that, but be outside too. Well, in the spirit of getting outside and, and, and that doing, kind of mentality tell us about you know any sort of upcoming projects that you've got going on endeavors that you've lined up for future in 2023 you know uh tell us about what is the immediate future hold for chop the father man i don't got i don't have anything super set in stone everything is just like in the works you know i got multiple projects with acasa in the works one of them being the navy uh, me and navy jones are collaborating on a project um you know there's a there's stuff that's like it's been talked about, but there's nothing official. Like me and Jag talked about doing a track together as well. Uh, I'm working on my third solo album, but it's still like there's I don't got a name, I don't got dates. Um, I'm performing again later on in the year uh, at another venue, so it's nothing that's set in stone. I got a bunch of stuff in the works, uh, but if anything, I would say, man, just follow me on Instagram at Chop the Father and just. Uh, I do a lot of uh, on the run type promotion where it's like, oh, I got a track out. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> uh, you know, trying oh, different just... styles of promo and uh, sometimes I'll hype some stuff up. But if anything, just follow me on there. And uh, uh, I definitely do, though. I have a goal and uh, hopefully I could do it. I want to go out there, man. There's a lot of y'all that fuck with me. Uh yeah. Uh, I, I already just told, to say that too. I already told Rob that I want to be on the next step off project because like that that image that you I don't know if you had it made personally, but with everybody on there, like the the drawing, 
It reminds me of a famous New York one with like it has DMX, Eminem, you know, not I mean not New York, but just rappers in general. So I was like, man, that's super dope. Like I would like to be drawn like uh alongside uh, MCs like that. I like the way you put that together, but I want to go out there, man. I, I don't know if y'all are familiar with 86 Inca. They yes. uh they show a lot of love to uh Rap Olympus Media shows a lot of love. Uh uh, you know, Navy Jones has put me down with D-Rail and, uh, you know, Viva Mezcal, he showed me some love too. So I definitely want to go out there and, you know, make it a thing, hopefully perform, get in the studio, maybe do, you know, maybe do an actual, like, you know, sit down where, you know, we don't have to do a whole nother interview, but maybe fucking do some clips or something, just link up. Cause sure. I am noticing, I do get a lot of love from out there, man. And I appreciate it. Yeah, we definitely got to get you out here in Dago, get you on a stage out here at some point, you know what I'm saying? And like, just continue building up this, like, this network and all this love that we're trying to promote in our community, you know? You know, we're all stronger together, man. You know, the thing is, is that, like, this hip-hop thing, it's it's not just from state to state, it's global, you know, it's yeah. different nations nationalities races and creeds you know like this 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 thing is global and it really has the power to bring people together that otherwise may have never crossed paths that's right and in the absence of some shit that we can all rock to let's say let's we can all i think have an agreement we'll just fucking make our own you know what i'm saying <laughs> if like if no if the the dominant force of society is not going to give it to us like say fuck it we'll we'll build it ourselves yeah, uh there we go saying if rob needs a verse is on the house oh yo, there we go yo thank you brother i appreciate that <laughs> you know the fullness man yeah <laughs> yo man so with that said you know like um if you had one message to give to your fans what would it be one message to give to my fans uh it's crazy um uh, you know I listen to a lot of people so I, I like to quote a lot of people but when I'm just one of my favorites is and it's not even an over, like, it's not a complex thing. It's pretty simple, man. It's, uh, you know, the song Love Yours with J. Cole is there. There ain't such thing as a life that's better than yours. And just really uh, to tell my fans, just really appreciate your own life. You know, you just scientifically speaking, you fought so many odds just to be born. And then to be born, be alive and be able to smell the roses, breathe fresh air. I think waking up is such an undervalued blessing. Like, you know, we got to wake up today, you know? So just make the best of your own life and uh, don't let the society, you know, get you to think like, oh, you know, he's doing better than me. Cause it's, most of this shit is just a facade, man. Like people aren't actually living better than you. It's just the appearance. And it's just like, you know, stop, no, don't, don't delve too much into material things, man. If you think something's cool, get it. Don't get it because the perception of it will make you look cool, you know. You know, delve into the stuff that makes you happy and just appreciate your own life, man. That's my main message because uh, I feel like um, it's a lot of jealousy in the world that leads to a lot of hate in the world. And it's just like, man, we need to just get to a point where we just really love to appreciate our own existence and stop stop comparing ourselves to everybody else no doubt man to live by. yeah exactly thank you for dropping those gems with that said man you got any closing comments or anything else you want to let our listeners know about yourself or any upcoming release of your music or just some closing words of wisdom yeah man um 
I don't know when this episode is dropping, but I do have a track coming out uh, uh, 31st of March, which is next Friday. I'm not going to lie, kind of calling out some of the people in my city about their bars in it. So <laughs> I might get a little, might get some traction, might get not, but regardless, I felt like it needed to be said. Other than that, I'm just working, man. I'm working on my album. I'm working with Acosta. I'm working on a bunch of different projects open and doing features and you know for the most part i'm down to work with any dope lyricist so like i said you know i reach out a lot um i don't know if i create the facade that i'm not reachable i'm definitely reachable man talk to me hit me up i like working with artists that take themselves seriously man because i take myself seriously so um other than that no i mean other than that track i got coming out next friday uh man uh as far as chop the father is man just follow me on instagram I'm on Twitter as Chop the Father One because some hater took Chop the Father without the without the the number one. So I'm Chop the Father One, but mainly on Instagram and uh, anything. I don't expect nothing from nobody, man. Just follow me, and if you show love, cool. If you don't, don't. I understand that at the end of the day, man, we all have lives. So if you rock with me, cool. If you don't, no hard feelings. No doubt. But with that said, Chop the Father, thank you again so much, brother, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and I appreciate y'all too, man. And I appreciate y'all creating a, a lane for me out there. Like I said, so if, you know, this is my one last thing to say to Chop the Father and the fans. Chop the Father, West Coast coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> That's that for sure, man. We're going to get you out here real soon. Yeah, Gulf Coast, the West Coast Express. No doubt. Internet, Chop the Father, his project, Vader Time with the Cost of the Man is out now. You can stream it anywhere you listen to your music. Thank you again, brother, for coming on the show. And with that said, we out. Peace. Ah, right, uh, you like that one. Once again, big shout out to Chop the Father for coming on the program. We're going to close out today's show with a cut from his project on Vader Time, produced by the one and only Acosta the Man. It's called Never Got Me Down. Vader Time. It is out now, available to stream on all streaming platforms wherever you get your music. And with that said, we out, Internets. My hands been aching, probably from breaking the mouth. Couple dollar signs, and she probably taking it off. Looking for problem solvers, we the ones taking the call. A lot of y'all just sucking, ain't even hating them folks. Try to stun around us, and we Took a lot of pain when it came to making me boss No sunny skies for me, man, I was made in the fall Ironic being done wrong, my pussies made me a dog They say I read my fatherhood like it's a gang, gang You right, cause I die behind that shit like bang, bang Damn, chop, you off the deep end Yeah, I'm a shark circling my prey, creeping Catch me on the east end, with a group of heathens Bitches want the semen, my kids don't need no siblings Get the milk and come right back. Be 
Fakes, fakes, claiming the culture really got me spazzing. Try to charge me half a rack to open up for some hazard. I'ma take that to Nico's, buy a block and start crashing. Other engineers hating cause we making some magic. Black on black is the fashion. Mac attack, we not lacking. Rap to rap, y'all not matching. Pack on pack, they keep landing. Left to back like a manic. Hang your ass like a hammock. Track on track, I cause havoc. Back to back like a magic. Killing keys, I'm a maverick. Smoking tree, smoking cabbage. Slump boys on the fabric. Chopper cuss, I cause panic. This episode of Step Off Radio is recorded at the Justice Center, San Diego, and our music was done by DJ Root. This has been a Step Off Magazine production.